Welcome to Brave Dynamics. This is your host, Jeremy Ao. Leadership is harder than it looks. As a proven founder and Harvard MBA, I interview courageous entrepreneurs, executives, and investors every week. I also share my frontline experiences, coaching insights, and own professional development journey. If you're stepping up as a new leader, founding a startup, or venturing into the great unknown, this is the podcast for you. Paul Baradatakit is a partner at Pantera Capital and focuses on the firm's venture capital and hedge fund investments. Pantera Capital is the earliest and largest institutional investor in digital currencies and blockchain technologies, formerly managing over $1 billion. Since joining in 2014, Paul has helped launch the firm's second venture fund and currency funds, executing over 100 investments. Paul also sits on the board of Staked, Blockfolio, and Alchemy, is a mentor at the House Fund, Boost VC, and Alchemist, and is an advisor to Orchid, Origin, and AI Foundation. Prior to joining Pantera, Paul worked at Strive Capital as an associate focusing on investments in the mobile space, including an early-stage investment in App Annie. Previously, Paul was at Hatch Consulting and LECG and performed partnerships and growth for Urban Spoils, an early-stage startup in the daily deal space. Paul graduated from the University of California, Berkeley. Hey, Paul. Good to have you on the show. Uh, thank you very much, Jeremy. Really excited to be here. Such a small world because when we got introduced via Bob, we turned out to have almost 200 mutual connections. Oh, wow. UC Berkeley, through the Bay Area, through Tech in BC, and recently a new teammate of mine, I was just catching up with her, and she was, Nat, was like, oh, Paul was my mentor, and I really love him. And I was like, what? <laughs> it's, it's such a small world. You know, technology, Asia, and VC, I mean, part of my job is basically just to make connections. People call me the connector, and so and knowing your background too, not surprising that we just have so many connections. Well, uh, go bears, as we always go bears. Yes. <laughs> well, those not know how uh, UC Berkeley alum love to call and uh, shout out to each other, and uh, it's a fun tradition. It really is. It's it's the first bond that we have together in addition to other things. We just kind of going through the same university, and and that's always a big part of the journey is really just kind of learning a lot from university. Yeah, it's nice to have that school pride. And it's interesting how it also translates to where we are professionally and these connections has happened over again. So, you know, what has been your leadership journey so far? Maybe I can start off by giving you my background and I'll go straight since, since university. You know, I originally grew up in Los Angeles and I went to a private school. So going to UC Berkeley, as you know, public school, very liberal, very eye-opening for me. I, I would say that like, Almost like going into a room and just seeing a whole bunch of bright lights. For me, like it was to be able to, number one, like I came from a school that was 95% Caucasian and there were only like 10 Asian people in my whole grade. And so to come to UC Berkeley, so many Asian Americans, so many people open-minded to different cultures and different interests and things like that. Like to me, I tried to enjoy the college experience as much as possible. So that's kind of really where I opened up as someone that would, you know, I was always a quiet person. But when I got to university, I joined a fraternity and I really just started to build those social skills, which I think 
you know, some people are say, oh, you're, you're a frat guy. Like that, that's not really important. But to me, it actually built up some of the leadership experience that I needed to, because I took leadership positions as part of the fraternity. And that means recruitment chair, that means social chair. So I think for me, because I didn't do any of that in high school, to me, like that's where I really started to build up my interpersonal skills, not being awkward, being able to, to manage people, things like that. And on the flip side, though, uh, while I was in college, I probably spent a little bit too much time around the interpersonal stuff and my schoolwork didn't fare as well. And so I was supposed to be in hospital of business, but I didn't even apply because my GPA was so low. And so, so, so what I did was, you know, if I don't go to business school, what, what do I do? Like a lost college person. So I felt like social wise and leadership wise, I was building, but career wise, I was lost. And so I thought like similar people, maybe being a lawyer would be sort of a good, good starting point to, you know, if I have a law degree, it can expand to other, uh, other things. So I graduated and actually started working at a law firm for a year thinking, okay, well, I'll just go down this path. I'll learn about how it is to be a lawyer, see what the work is like and get a law degree and then be a lawyer. And then that's it, you know, like a, every Asian parent. But uh, I was working in the law firm for a year and then I, I realized that I did not want to be a lawyer. <laughs> I did not want to, number one, I just didn't want to be in that type of service, right? Where I'm doing something that for me, like didn't really use a lot of my interpersonal skills and felt like I wouldn't really use a lot of the leadership things that I enjoyed doing, which was sort of managing people, managing teams. So I quickly left the legal field and I felt like something business related would really kind of fit my background. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. So I joined a consulting firm and became an economic consultant. And that was a great way to really just kind of bring back all the things that I learned from my economics classes and my math classes and really just get into research, financial modeling and analysis for different sorts of projects uh, in consulting. This was revolving around litigation cases. So it still had sort of that mix of law, but also business. And I was doing that for a couple of years. But, you know, after a while there, I started wanting to work for a smaller firm because going through sort of the hierarchy and being at the bottom of the totem pole, I definitely didn't get to use any of my leadership skills there. <laughs> and so I decided to join my friend who had a small consulting firm called Hatch Consulting. And it was great because we were actually working with some startups and helping them with their financial analysis and business models and filing their, their S1 and things like that. And so that was kind of a foray into just kind of seeing what the startup culture was like. And I was like, wow, this is great. Like people are working so hard. People are focused on, on a singular goal. And I started feeling a little bit more purpose in what I was doing. And this is so funny. So I was just continuing to look at other jobs because I knew that, you know, I wanted to possibly get into startups and I found a job posting on Craigslist and Craigslist was starting to get more popular at the time. And it was like, do you want to be a business development manager for an early stage startup, equity only, no salary. And I was like, okay, fine. So I already have this thing that I'm doing. Might as well just do something else and just hustle and just kind of learn about startups. And this company was an early stage startup focusing on daily deals, but it wasn't like Groupon or Living Social. It was a, it was like a kayak for daily deals. I'm um, starting with a mobile first product, just helping people filter through the noise and get daily deals that matter to them. 
thought it was a cool idea. I get a ton of emails all the time. And why don't I have a better place to manage all of my deals? And so I joined on and did this all on the side for equity, coming up with different marketing strategies, coming up with different ways to acquire users, whether it's through digital marketing, whether it's through different forums, finding places where their target demographic was aggregating and just going out there and trying to methodically get and convert users while trying to also get partnerships with other daily deal sites. So I was doing all of this on top of sort of the 40, 50, 60 hours I was doing at Hatch Consulting. And I think the really big turning point for me was they said, hey, we actually just got into TechCrunch Disrupt and we're going to be at the alley for TechCrunch Disrupt. So we want you to be out there on the front lines trying to get VCs to come to our table and start pitching them, things like that. So this is great coming up with all the marketing materials and being at that front line and just kind of seeing, because you start reading TechCrunch and you start reading about VCs and you start knowing these names and you're like, oh my God, like that's Dave McClure, that's Ashton Kutcher. Those are all these names. And you just like, okay, like this is really cool to be able to talk to some of these investors and understand what they're looking for and seeing if what we're doing is a match and really just got into that whole atmosphere of looking at all these different startups and talking to other people and hearing about their journey, I think just kind of really sparked a fire in me where I had to do whatever I can to get into this industry in, in a larger way. And, and hopefully that's either on the startup side or something else. And so that company ended up getting some financing, but because of certain reasons just didn't end up taking off. But for me, like that's really that's really where I decided to get into to venture capital. And I actually, again, found a posting on this time LinkedIn instead of Craigslist. And I applied to be a VC analyst at a fund that was focused just on mobile. And uh, from there, I really feel like when, once I got into VC, uh, I applied and apparently there were like hundreds of people that applied, but I really utilized my experiences of being a hustler and being, for, for at my age, someone that was on the front lines of helping to grow a startup, even just on the side. And my knowledge of, of mobile, because this fund was just focused on mobile apps and mobile infrastructure, they, those qualities got me the position. And from there, I really ran with it. And obviously, in the last 10 years of venture capital, a lot of different experiences that I can talk about in terms of how I've grown as a leader. That's amazing. And I love the fact that through it all, you've always kept that spirit of learning and engagement with the other side being uh, Greek life, the other side being startups, the other side being VC. And I love that forward-looking aspect of it. And one thing that I resonate with actually was I remember as a university student, I did a lot of tabling for my club, the Berkeley Group, Social Impact Consulting Group. And I did a ton of tabling, like like I would table every semester, which is this part where you put a table and then along the like through fair, and then you just pitch students going by over and over again about why they should join your club, especially freshmen and sophomores. And that turned out to be a repeatable skill that I use over and over again. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. I probably pitched over like 2,000 people, I think at least. You know, I have a record of all the people I, I, I logged, if it makes sense. And... That turned out to be useful as startups. That turned out to be useful as a consultant. <laughs> it's an interesting skill to have to pitch someone to join your organization, right? Exactly. Now, and you and you learn so much about pitching. At the end of the day, 
everything that you do involves some sort of sales, right? And so if you can build up the confidence to go out there and pitch, whether it's people that you do know or people that you don't know, and be able to read the room, see the reaction and continuing to improve and become better at that, then I think that's super important. And, you know, I am continuing. VC is really a sales job. So I think all of these experiences in interacting with people and reading people and being sympathetic to people really go a long way. And it's just funny because when I got into VC and I'm sure we'll get into, but I actually didn't even know what venture capital was really all about. I saw a job that said, using your skills on finance to evaluate companies and look at early stage companies and really help them grow. That was basically it. I really didn't know what that really entailed until I got into the job. And now I think it's one of the most interesting, unique and rewarding jobs that you can have. Yeah, let's get into that. Definitely VC from the outside in finance, it's capital, it's money bags, it's people wearing vests. Patagonia <laughs> <Patagonian> vests. <laughs> <laughs> you know. uh-huh. So, you know, that's the outside, but what's the inside feel like? How would you describe it to a friend who is just trying to see what VC is all about from the inside as a job or as a day-to-day routine? It, it really depends on what level you're at in venture. I mean, when I first started off, it was really just doing a lot of the analysis and really trying to understand patterns on what to look for and what makes a good investment. Certain patterns based off of certain types of investments too, whether it's stage related, whether it's sector related, things like that. And so It's trying to build patterns, but also be very open-minded. And then I think it's also just, you're going to learn along the way too, but you're going to learn from people that have done it before. And sometimes like they'll be right, sometimes they'll be wrong, but obviously those that have a good track record of being right, you want to understand why they made the investments that they made, why they passed on the investments that they passed, and some of the things that they've learned along the way. So you know, I think for me, when I got into the industry, I was working with the partners that I had and I think it was helpful to be part of a small team too, because I was given the ability to take on projects and be able to run with it and not be afraid of failing because I had partners that would back me up if, if I made a mistake. I, I think that was a great way for me to really just uh, expand my leadership skills because I had the reign to basically explore any sort of space and explore any sort of project, uh, explore any sort of strategy in terms of the way that we source or the way that we do deals, things like that. And then you know, if something went wrong, the, the partners would back me up. And that's continued uh, all the way from Stride Capital into Pantera Capital. And so I think that's really important for people to, to give people the ability to to fail and give the ability to learn and to to do better. So I think that was really important for my journey. Uh, Other things that I've learned along the way is just really being very sympathetic to the entrepreneur. I think that's the big thing. Knowing that I've been on the other side, but I haven't been a CEO before. I know the CEO has so much responsibility. And so whether it's being very responsive, being very transparent, being very helpful, being very efficient, 
all, all these different things just to make sure that they are having a great and productive process and interaction with you while vice versa, you're getting what you need for analysis of the deal and you're getting what you need to sort of help them out. That's really interesting because we're starting to compare and contrast leadership between founders and VCs. How would you look at that? I mean, I think for founders, they're looking at it from getting the business up and so so forth. But how would you describe the attributes of like strong leadership for VC being different from founders and CEOs? I think for founders, for the most part, I think it depends on what type of business you have too, right? I mean, if you're going to be leading a consumer-facing company and you're going to have to be doing a lot of marketing and public speaking and business development, then you want a, a founder that can really motivate people, can really tell a story, can, can run a room and is very charismatic, things like that, versus maybe the, the company is a B2B company or is very technology-driven and the technology speaks for itself and you can hire people to sort of do the sales for you. And you just need to make sure that it's in line in terms of having strong technology. It's in line in terms of the vision. It's in line in terms of the strategy, but everything else can sort of be kind of handed off to other folks. So I think it's really for the founder really to sort of be aligned with what type of business and what type of, of sector that they're in. And, and really just kind of play that role very, very well versus on the venture capital side, at least depends on what type of venture capitalist you are. You know, some venture capitalists are very vocal and they sort of tend to voice their opinions. And I think for me, you know, what I've learned along the way is I definitely have built up a lot of knowledge of, especially since I'm focused on one industry, you know, I see a lot of things in this industry and when I'm helping companies specifically in this industry, I can be very opinionated. But at the end of the day, I'm not day-to-day with the business. So for me, a lot of times, it's really just listening. It's really just being compassionate. You can look at the numbers, you can say, oh my gosh, like, why are your numbers flat? You're, you're doing a horrible job. You need a new salesperson. The technology is not working. You can come to so many different conclusions from the outside. But if you're not actually building the company and seeing what's going on, you, you may not actually get the full picture. And so for me, especially as, as I'm a board member, like I want, to, I want to learn, I want to get the full picture, I want to ask the right questions before I give an opinion. And so I think that's really important, in, you know, at least for the way that I like to do things. So versus maybe a personality or leadership of a CEO that really has to where everybody's looking up to and they are being very vocal and very, very strong. For me, sometimes I'm just a sounding board. I'm a sounding board. I'm just processing. And I'd rather be very methodical and very and, and say something of substance than just to say a lot of words, which may be sort of what a CEO of a company may do. That's amazing. Now, I think there's something that most first-time founders aren't fully aware of, right? Which is that it's not just about the results and you bring on the capital to accelerate those results. It's also the working relationship because effectively it's someone that you're inviting to join the team, right? And every quarter at a minimum in a very formal setting, <laughs> at a bottom, 
and honestly monthly even weekly in terms of like communications like emails or messages so how should founders think about choosing the right investor should they be thinking about the money should they be thinking about the right board fit how should what would be your advice be i mean obviously it depends on what situation you are in um you know there's definitely firms that provide more than just money and if you're in a situation where you don't have a lot of choices then you know at the end of the day you have to do whatever you have to do to sustain your business in terms of getting capital but if you do have choices then you know, i think it's a combination of looking at which investors will provide a lot of value for your company and so a lot of value means potentially access to talent potentially help with product uh potentially especially help on the business development side and thinking about strategy things like that so you know i think those are all things that can be very very additive and especially if they've invested into companies that have done something similarly whether it's you know super high level like these guys focus on enterprise you're doing enterprise or maybe even something more specific like these guys are crypto focused you're a crypto company obviously like they're going to have a lot of connections and expertise and network and and things like that and then uh, you could, you should also think about how the next round will sort of look like too is this a good brand signal are they going to follow on are they going to be a good you know, signal for the next investor and and that sort of thing so i think those are all things to think about but that's one side of it the other side is is really like you mentioned it's the fit and the other fit is around potentially vision just how founders have conflicts on the vision of the company and they break up the the team uh, the ceo and the investors can also have a difference of opinion in terms of the vision and that could be very very disruptive to the building of a business and then the the third thing which is uh, around fit which is a really around personality and style i think we've seen some bad experiences where board members just don't respect the board meetings and don't come prepared aren't responsive are very dominating and aren't providing that much value personalities just don't mix and and all this kind of stuff and so it is like a marriage and you you want to get along with your board members hopefully at a certain point where you guys can be can be friends you know what i mean so uh, i think that is very important but then again like maybe you're the opposite and uh, it's one of those things too where you don't you're experienced and you actually want a board member that doesn't have an opinion or isn't really around and that's your style so again like it's it just really depends on who you are what you need and what sort of personality you have from the inside out what was it like for you to start practicing and exhibiting those attributes you talked about as the ideal partner for founders So for example one angle that I've seen is that you've doubled down on kind of like blockchain so some of your industries is coming in but how have you kind of like nurtured I think personally the attributes to match those uh, desired attributes that you want every founder to have in their board I think I think the first attribute that I have is and and I I hope that folks can sort of see this is is really I, I work really hard for my my founders and so it starts with being very responsive and i i think especially in the crypto space like people are seems like they're always working 24/7 maybe it's because trading is 24/7 and so whether it's responding to emails really quickly or even 
I don't know if you use Telegram, but everybody in our industry uses Telegram. So exchanging, almost like exchanging phone numbers and just doing everything on WhatsApp or Telegram or things like that and all of that. And so I think the entrepreneurs can can sort of see that I am really, really responsive and I'll be there for them. I think the second thing is just really showing enthusiasm. If they can see that enthusiasm, I sort of wear my enthusiasm on my sleeve. Like you'll, you'll sort of know if I'm really excited about something or if I'm not, right? You know, I'm just that sort of person. I, I, I sort of have a lot of emotion. And if I'm excited about a project and I'm helping them, I, I think just the, just the enthusiasm and the positivity and the sort of the, the glass half full versus the glass half empty is, is kind of the way that I sort of look at things. And I think that sort of personality works with a lot of founders. And I'm also really just open and transparent and I'll tell you like it is, and I'm not afraid to sort of give bad feedback. And I think a lot of founders really respect that too. I think some feedback is better than no feedback. And so I think along the way, as you know, if you're going to partner with a company, it's a long journey. So along the way, I like to build up these relationships so they can see those traits, uh, even from the first email to you know, how I interact, to the feedback that I give, to other things that I can do to be helpful. I'm also, I sort of have the mentality that you can't just ask people for things. You have to give first before you ask. So for me, like I'm always thinking of ways that I can give to other people, whether it's uh, you know specifically for a certain deal or whether it's just in general. For, for one of the things, like it's sort of a side tangent, but I, I try to give back to UC Berkeley for all the things that we've sort of built up in terms of our experiences there. So whether it's mentoring at the House Fund, which is a VC fund that's focused on UC Berkeley entrepreneurs, or even you know the blockchain at Berkeley at, at UC Berkeley is one of the most well-positioned and well-developed blockchain organizations in, in any university. And I go out there and I give talks over there. And so I think it's one of those things where if people see you paying it forward, they're more willing to sort of see your personality in that aspect and try to try to give back to you. So I try to help out entrepreneurs, even when I'm not even investing in their company. And I think that really just helps translate well, because people can just talk about how, how great you are. I'm curious, how do you improve on those skills in the future, right? As you do day to day in the sales world, the sales reps all, you know, buddy up, right? So one is the sales and someone else is in a room observing them and just kind of like taking notes to be like, oh, you know, this is something you could say it a bit differently. Oh, I might approach that from a different way. So that's how they improve that personal one-to-one aspects you talked about, like warmth or relationship building. That's obviously on the sales side, very repeatable, structured, product-centric execution on self-improvement. How do you think about improving those skills? Because you know, you know, you've developed from zero to where you are today. And how do you see that daily like improvement cycle or whatever it is for the future? I think for me it's it's really just continual learning. And I know how does that happen, right? So for me, like I'm, I'm continuing to have interactions and every single time I have interactions, I try to see if it's working or if it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, then I try to figure out why it didn't work and try to do, so- do something in that same scenario again that, that might work. So hopefully for me, I give myself some time to reflect on certain interactions and be able to sort of decipher it. Also, I feel like as I've continued in my career, I've been able to have some good people 
work under me and work with me. And so whether it's not or whether it's the employees at Pantera, as I am telling them about my experiences and some of my tactics, I get to see how they're doing with it and uh, seeing if it works for them or if it doesn't work for them. And I, I learned from that too. So I think it's really just trying to, to see what I'm learning and you know how it's being used either through myself or through other people that I'm also imparting knowledge to. And I think the third thing, which uh, you know, I hope people can listen to this and at least learn one thing is I do a lot of reading and I do a lot of, uh, but actually more than that, just because I'm always on the go now, it, it's hard for me to just kind of sit with the book. I'm always just kind of like traveling. Well, maybe not this year, but I'm usually like moving around. I actually listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> and so the podcasts are great because I don't have to have anything in front of my face. I don't have to see anything. I usually just do the audio. And I listen to people talk about their own experiences and how they interact in certain scenarios. And some of the things that I'm trying to learn about more is uh, about being on a board and how you, sh- how you should interact and specifically like what you do in certain scenarios when certain problems are happening with companies and how you sort of deal with it. So both from a human personal side to actually a tactical side of what you do in certain scenarios. And it's learning from some of the top VCs out there, right? Like listening to podcasts that Bill Gurley, Peter Fenton, Roloff wrote that Sequoia, Sarah Tavel at Benchmark, just all these guys talk about their own experiences. And obviously, I may not take all of their insights because I may not run across every single scenario that they, they have, but I, I just try to learn as, as much as possible from the people that are around me and people that I and other people respect. That's really interesting, right? Which is, is not just about learning the nuts and bolts, but also learning about experience of how they tackled it. I'm curious about what are some common like myths and misconceptions about you know, the VC world from your perspective now that you've been inside and have been kind of mastering that whole set of understanding and nuances of it? I think the biggest thing potentially for entrepreneurs that venture capital is is bad or it's just not a, it's not a good thing. You're giving up control. They're going to take over your company. They're going to drive it in a direction that you don't want to drive it in. I mean, I know that this is very cliche, but every... Every scenario, every firm, every partner is different. And so I do think that there are some businesses that shouldn't take venture capital and can do very well without it. And then potentially there just aren't venture backable businesses too. And, and that's totally fine. But you do have something that can be very, very large. And you think it's the right time to dilute yourself a little bit, but get certain things that venture capital can provide, whether it's just a little bit more brand, a little bit more visibility, some help in terms of governance and, and expertise to you know potentially help around the business development side, then you should you should take it. And with that misconception, I think it's just really, it, it, some people have found bad experiences have had bad partners, but I think you should judge every person, every firm differently and you know see if it's a fit for you. You've also focused on the blockchain side. And what would you say are myths and misconceptions about blockchain as a sector? I can, I can tell you some of the misconceptions and why I did decide to focus on it. So 
I think the misconception when I first got into the space that probably still exists now are, is that blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies, like there's, there's no value and it's a scam. People are there to make a lot of money from people that just don't know a lot about finance or economics or things like that. And a lot of the use cases are around money laundering and you know, just a bunch of libertarians and things like that. And so uh, I think they just don't see uh, a purpose for it. And they just think it's just, just a hoax, right? And I think for me, I got into the space because Bitcoin. Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency on a large scale. And I thought to myself, there is a asset and a currency that isn't controlled by the government. It seems like it could be a pretty good store of wealth. And there's a lot of places out there that would love to be able to store their wealth in something that is decentralized. And it's basically what, what I would say is it's, it's like gold. What, what drives up the value of gold is just really supply and demand, right? I mean, and, you know, it's not controlled. The supply isn't controlled by, by, by the government. It's, it's you mine it. But the really cool thing about Bitcoin is it's gold, but it's digital, and with it being digital, it actually has value. You can move it around. And so you can actually use it as a currency if you want. So it, we think of it as gold, but with uh, digital and with a utility. And so I was thinking about it as, well, if it solves a store of value use case, that's already what gold's market cap is, what, seven, nine trillion dollars. And at the time, Bitcoin's market cap was very low. I think it was like under $100 million. I was like, that's a pretty large multiple that this can grow. And then if you start getting into payments and things like that, then it becomes even larger. And then now with Ethereum and, you know, so I thought the market cap was the disruption and the market cap was tremendous, but it was still very, very early. Do I want to take that risk? Well, having already been in venture capital and startups for two or three years, I was like, well, I'm already kind of used to taking risks. This may be a risk for two years in my life. And if I waste two years, then that's fine. Hopefully, I'll know within two years if this is going anywhere. But if it does go somewhere, just like investing into an angel round of a company, the upside is so tremendous that it's worth that risk, especially early on in your career. So that's why I got into the space. I sort of saw the risk reward. I was like, wow, it kind of excites me. Amazing. And I think what's interesting is that you've always consistently taken that risk, right? The next level, of risk, a very measured approach to escalating the lever. And like you said, a controlled risk is only for two years. Um, the worst case is you go back, right? Uh, how, how, is that how you approach risk? I mean, a lot of people are always thinking to themselves like, oh, it's too risky to go to this emerging industry because the industry may fail, right? Or it's too early for me to go to this new emerging firm, VC or startup because maybe too early may fail, right? I don't want to go to this market because it may fail. So how would you, obviously it's not a black or white yes or no answer. I mean, how would you, how do you measure it or how do you think through that problem and because, you know, that would be useful for other people. I think it really depends upon yourself and where you are in terms of your financial standing and where you are in terms of your career. I advise a lot of 
people early, early on in their career to take the risk because they're still without a, a family or they still don't have to support anybody. They can eat ramen for a little bit. They can, you, they can hustle and things don't go well. Then it's still very easy for them to kind of hop back onto something that is a bit more stable. But the later you go on in life, the harder it is to take that risk because you just have more and more responsibilities. So that's why starting a company, joining a startup early on, I think is, I, I think, preferable. You know, even folks that want to get into VC, I say, hey, if you know that you want to get into VC, just do it. Why delay the inevitable and why delay the gratification? But if you do think about like wanting to potentially join a company or start a company, do that first. You, if you're sort of like torn between the two, because it's much harder to go back to that and you can always try to get into to venture capital. So I, th I think it really just depends on where you are. And I think in terms of just risk in general, though, I would say that as you go further along in your career, I think you can actually potentially still take more, more risk on the sort of like investing side of things in terms of like financial risk, because again, like this is different from starting a company because that's more than just financial risk. Your, 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 your time risk is, is there too. But in terms of financial risk, and this kind of gets into what people say about like investing into crypto, for instance, right? It's like, should I, should I invest into something that's risky like that? I, I would say people getting into the industry that have already accumulated some wealth, uh, whether it's as, as, as joining a startup potentially, or even just investing into this space, it's, it's actually a good time to, to invest in risky things because I think for yourself, like uh, we advise people to invest a single digit percentage of the net worth into cryptocurrency. And so I think if you can already have some stability and just put together a certain portion for really risky stuff, then you should be fine because that risky stuff doesn't go anywhere. You still have the stability and vice versa. I think the same thing for startups. I mean, if you're, if you do have some experience already and you're building up some, some capital at Facebook and Google, you do have a little bit of an opportunity to then take risk. And you could just say similar to me, you could be like, well, I want to spend two years giving a shot in something that's really risky. And if it doesn't work in two years, just go back. Amazing. Well, last question here is, if you could go back in time, all the way back to the time when you were, let's just say a junior, right? <laughs> That's some time ago. What advice would you give yourself back then? I think the advice that is just super helpful for me right now, and I wish I was doing maybe a little bit earlier, was just knowing how powerful like networking is. I, I realized it when I got into the VC world and have been continue, continuing to sort of build up my network. But all the way since college, I wish I was just being a bit better at networking and cultivating relationships all the way since then, utilizing different tools to do so, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, all these different things. Back then I was just like, oh, I don't want to put myself out there. I'm kind of a bit shy, things like that. But I think the earlier you can open up network, be confident and use those tools to do so, build up a, a following, a personal brand, things like that. It just makes things a little bit easier in life. 
whether it's getting into venture capital, which is a networking game, getting into angel deals, which is a networking game, being able to come up with really unique investment opportunities, maybe even like finding a good dentist for your networking. The network is so powerful and I wish I knew how powerful it could be earlier on in life. And so that's kind of like my tip that I give to other folks is just, you know, be willing to put yourself out there and, and cultivate that network. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, not just your journey, but also your experience and insights. Uh, thank you so much. You know, it was a lot of fun and I, uh, I hope to do this again soon.